what do we do, Taya? What do we do? Well, I certainly do not have all the answers, so I'll just say that first because that's... Damn it. Re- I know. I'm so sorry about that. You are listening to Committed, an ongoing conversation about marriage, intimacy, relationships, and sex. Yeah, so that's, I mean, so I think when you and I were talking about trauma, I was talking about like, should I find a trauma therapist? Should I try somatic experiencing? Should I try ketamine therapy? Mm-hmm. Um, should I just do more hot yoga every day until until like some the trauma just explodes? Should I do a raw vegan detox juice diet for 90 days and let the trauma physically come out of my body? Um, sh- should I take antidepressants? No, I'm not going to take antidepressants. I don't believe in them. And the science backs me on that one. But like in this case, um, I don't know which road to go down. Um, and I'm afraid, I think this is called paralysis by analysis, but there's so many roads you can go down in this point, in this case, um, that I don't know which road to go down. And I also have tried going down some of these some of these roads in the past, and they ultimately led to either not feeling any different, ultimately, psychedelics is, is one example for me where I was a big believer in the psychedelics for healing trauma. Maybe they work for some people, but for me, they just ended up at the, at the end of this road uh, with no results. But also at, at the end of a lot of these roads, they're going to be charlatans. They're going to be people who are happy to sell you whatever it is that they got that they're specializing in could be a Reiki healer. It could be a, a, a regular PhD psychotherapist. It, it could be someone who's probably well-meaning, but ultimately not able to help. Um, and so part of me just thinks, meh, I'll just stay where I am and try to live my life as best as I can. Because I, I don't know how to tackle trauma. And if you ask 10 people, you're going to get 20 opinions on the subject. So Mm -hmm. So what do we do, Taya? What do we do? Well, I certainly do not have all the answers. So I'll just say that first because that's... I know. I'm so sorry about that. And I also... So something that I shared with you, I said there isn't a lot of data on it, but there's some research on it because I've been listening to a podcast called Psychiatry and Psychotherapy. A psychiatrist leads this podcast, Dr. David Pewter, I think is how you pronounce his last name. And I've been enjoying it. And so I said, they talk about on this podcast, it's just that it's really hard to reprogram what has been essentially imprinted into us for our whole lives. And I was just listening to a podcast. I'll send you, I'm going to re-listen. The data says the method doesn't matter. It's the person. This will blow your mind. Hang on. So that was my text message to you. And I was listening and re-listening to this podcast episode. I listened to it twice. And essentially the psychiatrist who runs and is the host of the podcast. And then there were also two other psychiatrists or psychologists, therapists, authors, though. They wrote a book 
around getting better results from your patients as a psychotherapist. And so they did some heavy research into a bunch of different things. One of them is like the different modalities of therapy that you can use and their effectiveness on patients and clients. And what they found is that the modality was not an indicator of whether the patient or client got better. The biggest indicator was the therapist. And on top of that, they did they did some research on or they looked into the research around what made the therapist successful. So they watched videos of therapists in session to try to decipher what their methods were and the way that they were showing up in their sessions that made them different from other therapists who were not as effective. And they couldn't find the reason ultimately, which I thought was really interesting. But what it came down to was the therapist's ability to connect with the client. And so therapists and coaches and psychologists and psychiatrists are, some of us are chasing after what's the next best thing. I need to get trained in this thing in order to work better with my clients on it. And if I can remember the question correctly, one of the questions that one of these people on the podcast asked was, you know, the therapist says, I need to learn, I need to, um, I need to train in trauma, for example, because I need to work with my clients on trauma because that's what's coming up in session. And so I need to train on it. And the question that one of these people on the podcast asked was, well, how effective are you to begin with before you even train? In trauma, right? Because I think that there's a lot of practitioners who go off looking to train in something because it thinks they think that it's going to make them a better practitioner. But you need to be, I believe the answer that they were getting to here is that you need to be a sufficient or exceptional practitioner to begin with before you try to even go on to train in different modalities of healing. Um, so that's what I was sort of just saying to you because you've tried a bunch of different things so far, right? You've, Mm -hmm. you've tried, um, EMDR you've tried, right? Have you tried that or that was just, no, no, no. I haven't found a a practitioner in LA yet, but it's on my list of things to do. I have not tried somatic experiencing. I've been trying to find a practitioner as well. Um, I have tried traditional psychotherapy, of course, including antidepressants years and years ago. Um, I, I, I spent years trying psychedelics, ayahuasca, um, peyote, iboga, uh, most recently MDMA. I do find the psychedelics to be very helpful because they can kind of break you out of an existing um, mind loop if you're in if you're in a very negative mind loop the psychedelics can at least for me break me out of it temporarily give me a sense for what life could be like Uh, most recently the mdma was like it felt life-changing while i was on the mdma like wow this is how life could be this is incredible and then eventually you know a week later sort of the the uh the honeymoon phase of the psychedelic goes away and you return to baseline 
Um, and then what other modalities and what other things have I tried? Uh, actually in the past few years, no, mostly, I think I usually go back to just sort of like talk therapy. I think somatica itself was very therapeutic in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, um, so anything that kind of really gets you into your body, um, yoga has been great every now and then in a hot yoga session, I'll feel inc incredibly emotional and just start like wanting to cry or starting to cry or starting to laugh. Like occasionally it seems like, um, something wants to come to the surface, but my next, the next things on my, men on my, my radar are going to be EMDR and, um, somatic experiencing once I find someone that I feel comfortable with. But from what you're saying, it sounds like it's the, it's the person that matters, not necessarily the the modality or the, the technique. Yeah. And I really, I really believe in that because you need to, as a client, and this is from my own experience. And then I also see this with my clients as well. The clients that I retain are the ones that are feeling connected to me. And they're saying to me things like, I've gone, we've gone to couples therapy before. We've seen other people. Their connection just wasn't there. And that's really easy for me to understand. Okay, there just wasn't, right? It's like, yeah, of course, you meet people. It's not always a great connection. You don't feel open to being yourself. You feel like you can't share certain things with them. You just don't want that in therapy at all. You never want that. Oh, I can talk about this and that with my therapist, but I can't talk about sex, for example, in my relationship. I'm like, well, as a couples therapist, you need to be able to talk to your clients about sex because what do you think that they're doing? Like one of the primary reasons that they <laughs> are getting together is to have sex with one another and have partnership and maybe not one of the primary reasons for everyone, but. <laughs> Certainly for me. I mean, geez. But right. <laughs> anyways, <laughs> I'm not trying to make an assumption about everyone. I need to watch myself. Um, <laughs> it's a fair assumption. We are sexual animals. It's, it's we what are. we do. We've got but 8 billion people. Of, there are a lot of people that, yeah, just want partnership and connection. I just, I do see enough of people want to physically connect because there's a this animalistic nature that we have to, you know, for some people to procreate, there's something very symbolic around that. And just to feel pleasure with one another, it's something that you get to engage in, in your partnership. And so that being said, when people say the connection just isn't there, I'm like, okay, yes, got it. But what are the like actual elements that I strive to bring into my practice that allow me to retain my clients, but also I just want to say it comes fairly naturally to me because I want, I want to help people. So when they come in, I want to do these things anyways, but listening first and foremost, being able to listen to them. I have a fair share of people who don't just want me to listen though. There are some people who want me to sit there and listen and I do some of that, but I'm also observing and I'm curious about what's going on for them and curious about why they just want me to listen, why they want to ramble on about their story. I'm always curious about that because that tells me something about them and what they're going through, whether you know they're not ready to face whatever it is, they're not ready to get the feedback, they want to get my approval for something, whatever the reason may be. 
but listening and also like my body language is very important with them. So at the end of the day, my face is physically exhausted. Like I'm like raising my eyebrows throughout the day. I'm like smiling and laughing with them. I'm like making sad faces with them. I'm mirroring their emotions because I'm showing them. And that takes a lot of effort, but it's so important to me to show them I'm, I'm feeling it with you in this moment in a compassionate way, not an empathetic way. Cause I want to have empathy and I do have empathy, but also I want to remember always that empathy can be, I, I just feel like the word is thrown around a lot. And I had a reframe a couple of years ago that was really powerful for me where empathy is where I'm creating an experience out of your experience. I'm creating my own experience. So if you say to me, Hey, my cat died, let's say, and I'm now so feeling what you're feeling or feeling my own experience of what you're feeling because of your cat. I can't support you because I'm having an experience from your experience. And with compassion, I can feel into it up to a certain level so that I can connect with you on it. But then I'm pausing and asking myself, I'm still in control of myself and in control of my state of being. And I'm like, okay, so this was Michael's cat and he, and he needs support on this. So I can still be there for you. So being empathetic to a certain extent, I believe, but being compassionate more so from my spot, making the facial expressions, listening to you, and then also working to relate to my clients like, oh, okay, well that, that seems something my therapist says to me a lot is what you're going through is very valid and you're not alone. She says that to me and it sounds so cliche, but something that I try to even do as an extra step is I try to ask myself, well, what in my life has happened to, to allow me to connect with this on a deeper level so that I can truly help them understand that I understand them. That doesn't always mean sharing my experiences with them. Sometimes I will, if it feels helpful, but I can at least connect to that part of myself that really gets what they're going through, whether it's a feeling of abandonment, you know, they could have had abandonment in a completely different way that I've experienced abandonment before, but I can connect with them on it. But again, in a compassionate way, not a way that I'm so deep in it that I'm now triggered in our session. And that is a whole nother conversation. And that does happen too occasionally, but those are the ways that I, that I feel like it's really important for me to connect with my clients so that they feel um, that I get them and that I'm going to be able to help them because they first need to understand that I, number one, care about them and number two, can resonate with them. And Mm. then, and I was going to mention safety. And I think that for some people, being able to resonate with them and connect with them can make them safe. But for other people who are dealing with I think deeper levels of trauma, that's not necessarily what they need, like, or it's not what's going to make them feel safe. I think that it's important to have those things present, but some people, like I was listening to my trauma training and one of the things that I thought was really important to note that wouldn't necessarily be intuitive for anyone, maybe a new therapist, maybe a new coach, um, is say you have a client that comes in with abuse, neglect in their past. Me having them come into my office and saying, sit sit right here and I'm going to sit right here 
is not necessarily the safest thing. Maybe my natural demeanor is to be close to them. Hi, how can I help you? I want to comfort you, right? When something's happening with one of my family members, what do I want to do? I want to go to them. I want to give them a hug. I want to hold them. I want to make them feel good, right? When I'm when I'm actually triggered and having a having a moment, a long moment for me, but a long moment, you know, my husband wants to hold me and care for me. But based on my past, that's actually something that's not helpful for me at all. So mm-hmm. having a client come into your office when you're when you're working with them for the first time, thinking about, you know, working on trauma potentially if they've called and said I want to work on this, having them come in and saying, "Where would you like to sit?" and then they choose. And then you say, "Where would you like me to sit?" Right? So like in my office, I've got a couch and I've got my chair. So there's really only two options. And but letting them choose where on the couch do you want to sit? And then and then where do you want me to sit? Do you want me to sit on the couch with you? Do you want me to sit in the chair? Do you want me to sit in the chair right next to the couch? Do you want me to sit in the chair across the room from the couch? So we start there. Those are the types of ways that we can make clients feel safe. So sometimes just having that connection with them, you know, for some of my clients, it really helps them when we spend half of our session talking about how our week went or how our kids are. Um, Some of them, that's like, I feel connected to you and that makes me feel safe. That makes me feel like you know me and what I'm going through because you get some of those things. And then for other people, it could be the proximity of, you know, say they had physical abuse as their trauma. And so for me to come in and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to sit right over here because that's, you know, what you're saying is most comfortable for you. And then you get to decide when I come closer and if I come closer, but I could actually always sit here if that's what's best for you. So it's really interesting. And I'm not, I don't remember exactly how we got to this. I know we were kind of going, remember the origin. <laughs> well, I think, uh, yeah, I think it, one of the things that I think uh, I've come to realize, and I mean, it's obvious nowadays is that finding a good therapist coach, it, it's like dating, like there's got to be a good chemistry. Um, and I mean, my first therapist I ever had in 2004, I didn't feel that connection, but I stayed with her for a year because the therapy is supposed to help. And that turned me off therapy for a long time. Whereas um, in the past couple of years, like even finding a doctor that I see that asked me like, Hey, so um, how was your trip to uh, Burning Man? Or how's, how's your girlfriend doing? Like they actually seem like they take an interest in me. Or if they will actually email me on like a Saturday night at 8 p.m. and say, hey, I thought of you because of this, it doesn't even matter what it is. But when I find someone like that, I sink my claws into them and I'm like, I'm sticking with this person because he or she seems, feels like they care about me, like they remember something. Uh, you know, one of my one of my friends once said, I, I hope to find a doctor someday who's brushing her teeth at night and says, hmm... I wonder what's going on in Michael's gut. Like, you know, like pondering what one of her patients is going through, like that level of concern. Um, it's a bit of an extreme example, of course, but 
nonetheless, like someone who has compassion, someone that I feel comfortable with, someone that I, like you said, I feel safe with. Like for me personally, I only want to have a female therapist because I feel safer in general talking to females about um, some of the trauma that went on in my past and some of my own issues. That's not to say there aren't wonderful men out there, and I, I know several of them, but in general, I feel safer with a female um, as, I guess, a stereotype, I guess. I just feel more comfortable with women inherently um, when it comes to being vulnerable and talking about these things. So, I mean, I think the lesson here is if I want to find a new trauma therapist, go onto the internet, find someone nearby, find three or four people nearby, have one session with each of them, see how it feels. And maybe one of them will be a wonderful match and maybe none of them will be, but you have to keep trying. But also the challenge to that though. So I'm glad that you were able to bring us back here. Cause I'm like, where am I going with this? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the problem with that is that one session won't, always really allow you they it will never actually allow you to truly know because there's this process just like in relationships so we have to be vulnerable of course and that's one of the hardest parts right i want to i want to meet you and decide right then and i think your intuition and the energy and the feeling circle back is important too <laughs> right so if you are getting a sense that it's not yes. going to work because of whatever you do you should trust your gut and there's this whole process with also a lot of my clients of learning like what what was your intuition telling you and then what caused you to not listen to that and how do we hone the skill of listening to your intuition that's something that I personally had to do over time because I haven't listened to my intuition many times in my life but finding someone and committing to them and sticking with them and this is a growing edge for you I think Yes. Right. And that's why it's very Michael of you to say, find four people and have one session with each of them. I'm like, oh, there he goes. Classic. <laughs> Classic. But I'm not I even do. monogamous with my therapist. Yep. You're not. You're like, let me bounce to one. Let's go on a date with the next one. But. Yeah, that's, that's important to be able to commit to it. And the way that I work with my clients is, you know, we have an introduction call of 10, 15 minutes. Sometimes it's a little longer with people if it's feeling like a really productive conversation, because some people will just try to have a session with me in the introduction. I'm like, this is not a session, but, but I have people commit to three or six months of weekly work because you need to get to know me. You also need to get to come into session, not feel so great, and learn the skill of saying, I really didn't like how you said that or the way that you approached that, or I was feeling off after a session and I'm going to come back and I'm going to share with you so that you can then change your approach because that's a huge part of relationship of saying, this fell off to me. And then getting to experience the repair of Huh, tell me more about that. What happened there? What was making you feel that way? Right. And, and so I think that there's a lot of great practitioners that all of us are also human and every session isn't going to feel so great. And I actually, last week I had a session with one of my clients and I got off and I was like, now there's something about that that just was, it was discombobulated. 
And I sat with it for a while and then I got on my computer and I sent them an email and I said, that felt all over the place. And I I just took some responsibility. Like I wasn't really sure whose responsibility was, honestly. It was just, was, was I having a weird day? What was it? But I'm a human and I'm like, okay, something was going on there. And I want to kind of, I want to kind of summarize what your homework is and where I want to pick back up next time and where we're going. And so I sent the email out and then I got on the session this past week with the client and I said, yeah, I sent you that email. What did you think about that? And then they were like, I actually, I have been having a great experience with you and I really enjoyed that session. And this was my takeaway. And this was what I thought about this week. And I meant to email you back and I'm sorry I didn't. And I'm like, that's fine. And it was just this wonderful, like, but it's a great example. It was a wonderful interaction. And I think it was also a great example of we are two humans having a relationship with one another and trying to connect. And and they talked about this in the podcast as well, where the therapist would have one idea of what the session looked like, whereas the client may have a whole other perception of what it was like. And I think that's important to take account of. And I think a good practitioner will ask that of their clients at some points in their work with them. Like, how is your experience with me so far? And whenever I get on session with my clients, I say, how were you after our session last time? Like what was going on for you after our session and how was your week after that? And sometimes I think, you know, in the past, I've gotten a little self-conscious of clients thinking, oh, this is what it's going to be. Like our session's just going to be, how was your week? How was your week? And there are certainly not, but it's really important for me to take the temperature of how did you leave our last session? Were you pissed off? Were you, did you feel lots of love and care? Did you feel like when I told you I wanted to give you a hug through the screen, did that feel really uncomfortable for you to hear? Do you not feel that connected to me? Or, you know, was there something that business that felt unfinished about our session that you want to circle back on? So yeah, finding a practitioner, so challenging, uh, or it can be so challenging. It can be really, really hard for people to approach trauma too. I know for myself, it's taken me quite a while to dive into what I've, what I should have been for a long time, but it's taken me a few therapists that, you know, I let go of not because of them though. It was because of me. Just like in a relationship. (laughs) It's not you. It's me. It's me, which is legitimate sometimes. I mean, I think in this case, uh, you pointed out something which is, I mean, this entire episode is now about finding a therapist, which I think is a really, really great subject. Um, but the fact that you were, you uh, attuned to each of your, your, your clients, uh, you know, you'll ask them for feedback on the previous session. You'll, you know, constantly adjust to them. You show that level of caring. If my therapist in 2004 did that, I would probably have not, I probably would not have the negative, um, feelings I have around psychotherapy that I do nowadays, but it was just like having a bad dog or a really bad first girlfriend or something. Like it just kind of sours you to, to the subject. But now after our conversation, I'm actually much more open to it now. So in that sense, thank you. Hmm. It was a great chat though. Yeah. This is informative for me. 
and a lot of fun, like always. Yeah. All, All right. right. Talk All right. to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye.